The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Um, so, hey, my name is Janet Simpson, and this song is called Safe Distance. Janet, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me this evening. Uh, hey, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad to get to talk to you. Yeah, so uh, November, you got the album finished up, Safe Distance. That's right. Uh, big prediction for, 20, <laughs> for 2020. Yeah, so then I decided to start a pandemic to help support the record. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> right. We we'll uh, we'll work our way to that. Um, I just wanted to start with uh, where are you originally from, and tell me about growing up. So I'm from Georgia, and um, I was born in Atlanta, and grew up, spent my childhood in Rome, Georgia, which is in the northwest corner of Georgia. Um, and you know, it's kind of a small Appalachian foothills town. Mm-hmm. Um, there are colleges there, so it it kind of has the both sides of the South. It has, you know, uh, these really beautiful liberal arts schools, and so there were a lot of great access to arts and, um, you know, good education there, but there was also, it's also the Deep South, you know, yeah. and so it had all of the complications of that. Sure. Uh, well, tell me a little bit about music. Uh, was it mom and dad records playing in the home, or what What really caught your ear when it came to music? Yeah, I would say that some of my earliest memories, and I know they say that you're not supposed to be able to remember really anything from your childhood before you're five years old, but I have memories going way back. Um, my parents had a Mustang um, with an 8-track uh-huh. player in it, and I can remember sitting in the back seat listening to Dionne Warwick when we were driving down the road, and um, the Doobie Brothers, and Jackson Brown, and um, music was a big, big part of my life. Um, my parents both are big music fans, mm-hmm. had great record collections, um, and so it was always in the backdrop, and, you know, they said that I started making up songs as soon as I started talking, so I was singing about, I was narrating the world around me oh, yeah. by making up songs about it, so um, they were really great. Um, we did not have a lot of money, but they were really interested in my interest in music and wanted to support that, and so they, you know, put a lien on their car and bought a upright piano for the house and enrolled me in piano lessons at, uh, you know, the community school at Shorter College, and so I started studying piano classically at How six. How old you? Oh, six. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I hear like stories of people um, starting that early. Like uh, one of my best friends, he's got a four-year-old girl, and um, it was the most precious thing. Right when they got her little karaoke machine, she, you didn't have to tell her what to do with that microphone yeah. while she was singing. Yeah, it's natural. And um, you know, his wife, uh, her parents made her take piano lessons, which. During that whole time, she hated, but now she's glad she went through it. Right. And so they're getting ready to start her at the age of four on uh, violin. And, um, like, I'm always curious about that. Like, from kid to kid, it varies. Like, if if you have these early vivid memories of already singing and making things up, it's it's there. Right. But exactly. what about those who, you know, maybe not necessarily into it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's like anything. I mean... Some kids are really going to love math, and they're yeah. going to be drawn to it, and it's going to be a part of almost every child's education, you know, and yeah. some of us, like me, are going to, like, hate math class with their soul, yeah. you know? right. <laughs> so, but I'm glad I had math class, yeah. you know, and I'm glad that I have those skills that helps you to think critically and, you know, problem solve, so... 
But yeah, it's funny. Like I have a lot of friends who grew up in hating piano lessons and dreading it. And I felt like I, my piano teacher that I had in high school was this amazing lady named Marianne Knight. Um, and she was Italian and from New York and very funny sense of humor and um, and made me feel very at ease as a kid, as an awkward kid mm-hmm. by with her sense of humor and but also she she gave me a lot of um, credit for being a person. I think at that age, it's real easy to, like I started studying with her when I was in junior high. And I think when you're 11 or 12, middle school age, you know, you're still a child very much and the world, most adults treat you like you don't know anything. Uh But she tapped into that I did know stuff, you know, that I did actually have an experience of the world, an emotional interpretation of the world. And she introduced me to composers like Chopin and Mozart um, and taught me how I could express those emotions through playing this music. Mm -hmm. Um, And she also, she was supportive of my songwriting. I started writing songs when I was in fifth or sixth grade, like really writing songs. Mm -hmm. And um, she was supportive of that. We never did that in the studio, but, you know, she was aware of when I was 13, 14, I started playing in bands, you know, rock bands, and she was aware that that was a part of my life, and she supported yeah. that creativity, even though she was like, but we're not going to do that here. In here, you're going to learn Brahms and Debussy. You can do that out there. Right. You know. Yeah. But she did, it does exist. Right. Yeah. yeah. And she was like, I get it, but not this, here. you can use this to help you with that. So and, are we still in Rome, Georgia at this yeah, point? Yeah, this is still in Rome. Yeah. So, uh, what about up to high school? Would you continue with classical training? I did all the way through high school, and actually in college, I was a piano pedagogy major. So, Montevallo. Mm-hmm. Is that how you and Sarah met? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so we were both in the music program there together. Yeah, cool. Yeah. She told me a cool little story about you know uh, days gone by. Y'all would both be spokespersons for women in country music, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. which was I. I felt. Um, really surprised to be asked to do that Sarah made perfect sense and I was like let me bring Sarah along because she grew up in this stuff and I didn't you know but uh but it was really fun we got to do that um at the Alice Stevens Center and it was really it was a good it was a good thing to get to do together yeah and just to plug that for listeners it's Sarah Lee Langford uh she has a phenomenal record out called Two-Hearted Rounder that you should check out absolutely she was recently on the show uh but just was there was there anything any other interest uh, from middle school to high school that was even pulling you away from music, or were you just totally bought in? You know, I probably anything that involved creativity, um, creative writing, poetry. You know, I was a very romantic child. You know, I still am, and so anything that was involved with romanticism I was into it I mm-hmm. was a ballet dancer um, and I probably would have pursued that more heavily but I um, music just music just won out it was natural and you know dancing involves music and theater involves music so mm-hmm. I did theater for a little while but I discovered pretty early on that um, I didn't like the theater world. I didn't like the the culture of 
of the backstage and theaters. It okay. was really competitive and cutthroat. Cutthroat, and I was too sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so uh, when it came down to time of picking colleges, would this be the first time that you would be leaving uh, Rome? Or? Well, it's funny because, you know, I, I was just talking about theater. I, I got out of high school early. I graduated when I was 17, and my parents were still in Rome. And um, my mom had gone to Shorter College, and both of my aunts had gone to Shorter College. And so the expectation was I was going to Shorter College. Uh-huh. Now, none of the women that went to this college in my family graduated from this college. They just all started just went there. there. So I followed in their footsteps. I went for a year Was that liberal arts, though? What's that? Was it liberal arts, though? It is. Okay. It's, it's a, it, but I would compare it to Samford. It's a private Baptist liberal arts school. Okay. Um, and it was where I had grown up in their conservatory studying music. And so for that reason, you know, it felt like, okay... I was I was a little too young to fully leave the nest, you know, and leave my parents' home at 17. I was an immature 17, I would even say. But I also was, I, I chose the musical theater as my major because I was like, well, I sing, I dance, I play piano, I, I can do all this stuff, so I'll do this and I'll figure it out later. And that's when I really learned, like, I... It, I was not cut out for it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't listening to Andrew Lloyd Webber in my spare time. I was listening to rock music. You yeah. know, that was where my soul was. And who were some of those guys at the time? At the time, yeah. What were those influences? Oh, so this was the the mid '90s, and I probably like P.J. Harvey, The Pixies, yeah. Throwing Muses, The Smiths. Um, and then, like, a little later on, I started um, kind of, I kind of just started playing with music. Like, oh, there's all these great, like, schmaltzy 70s singers. I started to, like, not try to listen to the cool music, you know, mm-hmm. that I had learned about in high school, but to kind of branch out um, and learn more. And a lot of the kids in the program were also, like, from affluent families in the Atlanta area. And so I also just, I just couldn't find my place in that world. And so I dropped out. Um, I started going to a community college for a little while, studying art history and just the things I was sort of naturally drawn to or hadn't even studied before, hadn't contemplated before. And then I just dropped out of school altogether Uh for a few years. And that's when I decided to, I had to leave Rome. By this time, I was 19, um, 18 or 19. Maybe I was just about to turn 19. And I needed to get away from my parents, you know, because it was time. And I needed to get out of the small town. It was time. So I moved to Atlanta and decided I'm going to try to just do music and Mm -hmm. see if I can make it. Now, at that time, what did that look like? Were, when did the guitar, were you playing guitar at this time? And Yeah, I had picked guitar up um, being a summer camp counselor where everybody played guitar. Oh, yeah, and campfires, so, right? Right, exactly. So learning Bob Dylan songs and, um, you know, John Denver, you know, the stuff you would sing around the campfire. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and like, you could hide in the crowd because everybody was playing guitar. So you, I would just watch everybody's hands and do what they were doing, you know. Uh-huh. And I picked it up pretty quickly, quickly enough that I could use it as a tool to write songs on yeah. um, by that point. And so 
when I moved to Atlanta, you know, I had been playing in bars since I was 14 um, in bands and acoustic alone, solo, since I was, you know, 18. And I really felt I was ready to, to try the big city, you know, and see what that was like and go and play there. So when you were playing there, um, were you playing originals and covers or just originals? Just I had to, nice. yeah, I had a really strong bent towards only doing originals. And if I did a cover, it was going to be something totally out of left field and unexpected, you know. Yeah. But um, but I really I really focused on songwriting and um, so that was that was really the beginning where I really threw myself into the deep end of the pool. Yeah. Uh, and so what did that look like at first, Atlanta? Was it coming up and, okay, let's put a band together, or it was just you? Just me. I just did I did the hard work of putting myself into every open mic situation I could find, um, which open mics were so hard to get into. Like, I didn't know it's very clickish. how hard. Well, just like everybody had already signed up by the time you got there, uh-huh. you know? It was just like there wasn't any room. So you would have to, like, hang out, get to know the people that worked at the club, and beg them Put to get you a spot yeah. on the list so that you could play. Um, and it was really hard. It was really lonely. I didn't know anybody there. Um, and it was it was scary, you know, for a little while. Of course, leaving Little Rome to go to Big Atlanta, right? Yeah, you know. And then I, I ended up meeting other women my age, you know, who were like, in their late teens, early twenties, who were trying to do the same thing, who had moved to Atlanta to do the exact same thing. And I found this incredible community. And then this really great thing happened. And my best friend, who I hadn't been best friends with until this time, but she appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> and she was a somebody I'd known since fourth grade. We actually wrote a song together when we were at marine biology camp when we were in sixth grade Uh and um but i didn't really know that she had really started playing and singing and and trying to do it and we just happened to run into each other and she's like i have so much to tell you i've been touring my with my uncle and playing music and and i know you've been playing music too so we need to talk and right so we got together, we ended up moving in together, you know, um, playing out. She would let me tag along and play shows with her because what had happened with her life is she had gotten very established. She had notoriety. She did, you know, for us yeah. at that age, it seemed like big time, yeah. you know? And so, everything, yeah. right. So we got, I got to play with her and, um, and get a lot of really interesting opportunities. And I learned a lot of really fun and also difficult lessons you know about what it was what you really had to do to professionally gig and um and then I started working at a record label oh yeah so I started working at Ichabon Records which was um a small independent label whose focus was R&B and soul when they first started. By the time I started working with them, they had expanded. They really did a ton of rap and hip hop. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they had absorbed um, other labels like Sky Records. Um, so they had artists like Guadalcanal Diaries uh-huh. and Love Tractor in their catalog. Um, Mo Tucker. and But then on the other side, they still had kind of this like old South R&B like Theotis Ely um, and Francine. Um, and then they had you know, Miami-based stuff like DJ Smurf and they had Lil yeah. John and the Eastside Boys. Right. And so, like, I... It was a label with its... That was spread a little thin, uh-huh. you know, and um, was trying to survive when the whole industry was changing. So Napster happened that year. Yeah. And, you know, there was just a, a, a big sea change coming. So that was just another really incredible opportunity for me to learn about music business did uh did the music that was coming out of that uh record label did that have any kind of impact or influence on the way that uh you were inspired to write your own music i think it gave me exposure to a lot of music i had never been exposed to Mm -hmm. before particularly i think about francine reed and um Theodis Ely, these were artists that were really deeply established here in the South, but I was not going to cross paths with, right. you know, in my very small world that I had been circulating in. And so I think in that regard, it did, it did impact me because I, here I am, I'm, I'm getting to hear real blues, you know, dirty blues, you mm-hmm. know, like going to clubs and watching how they manipulated crowds and and that was totally different than the indie sort of sensibilities I was exposed to or the female acoustic world that I was exposed to before that so kind of saw some of the ugliness of it all I saw some of the ugliness of the industry in particular like I I think that it made me run screaming from the idea of getting a record deal. You know, it seemed really dangerous. It seemed really like you could be easily manipulated before you knew what was happening. Yeah. And I was seeing that with artists who were being groomed for the label. They would come in one way and then their image would change and their packaging would change. And then all of a sudden their songs would change. And I thought, wow, just really easy for it to get out of hand and you not feel like yourself anymore sure yeah so uh what what happened to make you want to leave atlanta (laughs) so it was really clear that the label was going to dissolve soon Mm -hmm. um they had laid off half the staff and i was kind of in crisis and i was 21 by this point um, and I felt like part of me wanted to finish school for one thing and I I had that need to have a different experience like okay I've gone to Atlanta and done the Atlanta thing and it's really been eye opening and good for me but now I need to go somewhere really small and really different and my friend and I were having lunch one day, and he said, you know, 
if you're thinking about school, you should consider Montevallo. I was like, Montevallo? Isn't that where Thomas Jefferson lived? You know, like, I was <laughs> yeah. like, what are you talking about? And uh, Do a little politic. Right, right. He was like, no, 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 it's that, it's that school. It's kind of close to Tuscaloosa, kind of close to Birmingham, but it's, it's like a little art school. And, you know, like all the cute art boys are there and they have this place called barnstormers where all the bands play. And I think you, I think you would just have so much fun. And it's so weird that he was that into that intuitive suggestion. So I went home to my parents to visit them and they were living in Auburn, Alabama at the time. And I was like, I think I'm ready to go back to school. And they were like, okay, where do you want to go? You should go to Auburn. And I was like, no, I don't want to go to Auburn. You know, it's too big. Uh-huh. And dad was like, well, let's go look at Alabama. And I was my, my dad graduated from Alabama. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay. I was like, but I want to look at this school called Montevallo, too. And we just drove into the town. I didn't have any appointments to talk to anybody at the school or anything. We just drove. My dad and I drove to Montevallo. And I was like, yep, this is where I want to be. I don't care what it is. I, I want to be here. You know, like, mm-hmm. it just felt right. Yeah. And so... I did the paperwork and enrolled, and a couple of months later, I was packed up and moving to Montevallo. Yeah. So, what about that experience? Uh, what was the What was the major? Um, I was a piano pedagogy major. That's it. That's right. So, um, so my aspiration was to teach music, mm-hmm. and um, and continue to play music. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's that's exactly what I did, and. At the University of Montevallo, I met people that would become lifelong friends. I started two bands that would be long-term bands um, that released several albums. I, you know, I feel like my whole life really started to take shape when I got to Montevallo. Nice. And so just... um Upon leaving Montevallo, would you end in, end up in Birmingham? Yeah. Why? So that was kind of a, I don't know what to do next, so I'm just going to move to Birmingham for a little while, while while I figure it out. Okay, so there was no draw to Birmingham? It was just kind of the closest I, thing? Yeah, I was just like, I honestly, I'd gone through a breakup in Montevallo, and I was like, i got to go somewhere fast. Yeah. So I'm going to go crash with my friends in Birmingham. Okay. And, you know, and this person and I are still great friends, uh, it was Jim Fay who I co-fronted Teen Getaway with, and okay. um, he's probably one of my best friends. But I wasn't ready to move. I wasn't ready to break up the band. I just needed to. I just needed to clear my head. But then you know, like I'm like, but I could probably just move back to Georgia, or I could think about grad school. You know, uh, there were a lot of like options on the table all of a sudden. But Birmingham just felt right, you know? Huh. And I was, it wasn't like a decision via indecision, but it was a little bit like, why am I trying to rush away when I'm just discovering what Birmingham is? Yeah. And the music scene here at the time was just starting to really, I think, get its foothold. Was this during Bottle Tree? This was before Bottle Tree. Okay. So this was... The main venues at the time were still the Nick, of course. Um, but there was a Japanese restaurant in Five Points called Sakura. 
Mm-hmm. And they had started to do shows there, and it was really great. And all the people that worked at Securo were in great bands. Um, and there was a place called the Bomb Shelter, um, which is where Queens Park is now. Okay. And so that was another really great DIY venue. Um, Hotel Birmingham, um, which was a, another really incredible DIY venue. And the scene here had just really started to build itself in a serious way. Mm-hmm. Um, Cave Nine, which was a really awesome all-ages venue, punk venue that I played a lot. Um, so all those places are gone now, but they birthed Bottle Tree, and they birthed Firehouse, and they birthed what has anchored today's music scene. Yeah. So just to, uh, first time I saw you live was with Will Stewart. Uh, tell me a little bit about how'd you meet Will? So I met Will here in this room <laughs> at Ola Alicante. Um, Les Newby, um, I'd recorded several albums with him um, with various projects, bands, and um, so did Les meet you during the Montevallo days? I, yeah, actually, I do think that Les and I met back then. He was still playing in Verbena at that time, but we met briefly. We didn't become friends until much later, like after he'd moved to California and moved back. Okay. Um, so, and he and my husband were good friends, like years and years ago, too. So, um, but he had Will coming in to record this EP, and he had started to call on me for session gigs, you know, to sing and play keys. And so I, he called me, and I was just about to go on tour to Europe for the first time, and I was so stressed. Mm-hmm. And I I was going to be gone for a month, you know, a five-and-a-half-week tour. And I was like, you know, Les wanted me to come in. It was like two days before I was supposed to leave or the day before I was supposed to leave. And I was like, oh, God, I don't know this person. I don't know their music. I don't, I'm unprepared for this. Like, I, I was just really like, okay, but Les, this has to be fast. This is my fee. You got to tell Will that, you know. Like, looking back, I can't believe I, I, like, now Will and I are such good friends and collaborators. I'm like, I can't believe he had to pay me to play on something. Because <laughs> I came in, and, like, the songs were just really lovely. Um, it was very easy to pick up. Was this Canley Seat? This was uh, an EP he released called Kusa. Okay. So this was um, in, I want to say this was all in 2012. Okay. So a good while back. And, you know, so I came in, I did it. Will was really nice. Now I left for Europe. Yeah. Um, the EP came out. Will lived in Nashville. I lived here. Uh, and I thought the EP was really nice, you know. I was like, oh, that was really, that was really lovely, you know. And every once in a while I'd go back to it and listen to it. And, you know, eventually Will reached out to me one day from na- when he was still in Nashville. I was like, hey, do you want to, like write some stuff together mm-hmm. and I was like yeah let's do it right and so that's how Timber started nice 
and so just just a little bit. Yeah, man. Hey, Chad. Hey. We're, hey, Chad. Uh, we're finishing up. You can sit in or whatever you, you want to do. Hello. Glad you're here, man. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, so timber. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long has that been around now? I think. Let's see. Is it 2020? So I think it's been about five and a half years since we started working on that stuff. Yeah, so that's that's cool, and that makes I guess that makes it easier to book too. Like yeah. you might get Timber, you might get Will Stewart, you might get Janet Simpson. Right? When we've gone on the road, we just do all three. Yeah. You know, and it, especially like those gigs where you've got a two-hour set, it's like let's play everything we know and throw in some covers. <laughs> <laughs> right. Everything but the kitchen sink. That's right. right. Exactly. And then some. Well, cool. Uh, let's just take a step back off into your album that's going to come out in March, right? First that's quarter right. of next year. Ho- hopefully in the first quarter of next year. So. Social distance, right? Safe distance. Safe distance. Safe distance. <laughs> yeah. How timely. I know. It's so bizarre. But there's just, it's the name of a song, and I decided that song needed to be the title track, but I made that decision in November of 2019. Yeah. So. <laughs> Whoopsie. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. Uh, let's talk just a little bit about uh, processes. Uh, and I, I know it's it's both and, and there's every song is unique in its own way, but do you find it um, melody first or guitar riffs, or is it just a line or a phrase that you get stuck in your head? And I know it's kind of a, it's a big question. Yeah, usually, usually the words come first. Usually it's a line or a phrase. Mm-hmm. And almost always that comes with a melody attached to it you know so i'll hear you know i'm trying to think of some words that i recently strung together but i'll hear like a sentence or a or a half a sentence and it'll already have kind of an arc and then i'll say well what what chords am i hearing under that so then i'll kind of figure out the progression and once i have the progression in that first line it just kind of all snowballs for me and becomes the song okay cool gotcha. tells me where i'm going well as far as things to come up i would like to uh plug social media and ways to find your music uh so we have timber you're very involved on t- uh, wheels records on right. top of uh, your own yeah. uh, what are some ways to connect uh, i know cornelius chapel but uh, your personal social medias and yeah. the different medias there yeah so you can find me on facebook at janet simpson i have a music page there um, and I'm not very interesting on Instagram, but um, the Simp Temp is my Instagram, so you can find me there. I'm, pr- I'm pretty easy to find. Okay. Yeah. Anything else to add or subtract? No, no. That's It's been great to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me. Janet, thank you so much. All right. This song is called Black Turns Blue. secret from me and stayed safe in your quiet street yet every word from you is sweet grass in the June See the shadows 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.